Hi, and welcome back to the second episode of Heresy Hunting. I'm Emma. And I'm Jamie. And within this episode, we'll be delving analytically into the controversial primary sources in relation to the contested existence of Catharism. And we're also going to be starting to debate whether the Catholic Church exaggerated and embellished the existence of Catharism to justify the genocidal violence against the Cathars. Interestingly, the man that coined the word genocide, he actually described the violence against the Cathars in the Albigensian Crusade as perhaps the most conclusive example of a genocide within religious history. That's actually really interesting, as medieval historian Mark Pegg also refers to the Albigensian Crusade as a genocide. And he'll be someone you'll be hearing a lot more of in episode three of this series, as he has very controversial opinions on the Cathars. Wouldn't that massive scale of violence require an actual threat to the Catholic Church? Or is this just sources deliberately leading us to what they want us to believe? Definitely. And one of the most useful sources for looking at this is from the mid-13th century inquisitor Rainia Sacconi, who had detailed writings about um, his views on the Cathars and his observations on them. What was the structure of the Cathar Church? Was it similar to the Catholic Church? Maybe that was why it was perceived as such a big threat? Well, definitely. According to Sacconi, um, the Cathar Church was divided into 16 churches spread around Europe. And he almost describes it as an alternate church to the Catholic Church. Rather than just a heresy, it appears like a monolithic institution, and he details all the different churches around Europe. Mm. Um, And yeah, it's just described as this very institutionalized, large structure that certainly would have come across as a really significant threat to the Catholic Church. Were there any interesting ranks? Going back to episode one, where Oliver and Otto talked about women and their position within the Cathar Church, were there any other controversial um, positions or scenarios that the Cathar Church supported? Well, on the one hand, it would seem from the records of the Inquisitor that this so-called Cathar Church was organised very similarly to the Catholic Church. There was four ranks with deacons at the bottom and bishops at the top. But then there was a difference because Rainier claimed that sometimes these Cathar churches would have two bishops at the same time, which he compared to having a woman with two husbands. He's saying it's very strange and completely illegitimate. Um, It's illegal in most countries. Yeah. So it's sort of a twisted version of Catholic hierarchy. You have this situation where... There's hundreds of members. He claimed that just within the Cathar church that encompassed Languedoc, there was 200 members, and by that he means 200 of the perfects. What's a perfects again? Just a reminder. The um, the perfects were sort of the, in inverted commas, the true believers, those Ah, that were fully signed up. Those who you wanted to be. Yeah, Mm. they truly believed in all the sort of set of beliefs of Catharism, they fasted, they did poverty, um, they wouldn't have sexual relations. Yes, 200 in the Languedoc sounds like a massive amount. But did you know that there was apparently 4,000 across the entire world? 4,000? 
Wow. But then how did they know how many there were in the world? How did they even know how many there were in Languedoc? Well, the Inquisitor man that you just spoke about, he was the one that was coming up with these numbers and saying that they weren't exaggerated because he felt like he got them out from the Cathars themselves. However, despite this, there was a complete lack of evidence. So we don't actually have any clear understanding because there is no record or a lack of record of Cathar primary sources. So what you're saying is the Inquisitor sort of completely made up these numbers and we have no idea whether they're true. Pretty much, yeah. That would be the gist of it. So therefore, it's clear that these primary sources are not reliable and we can't trust their opinions on how much of a threat Catharism was. Yeah, we have to go off what was happening at the time. So most importantly, Innocent III's letters are really, really interesting and important to go through as they are at the time when this was all going down. Definitely. And Innocent III was notable for the stance he took against heresy. Previous popes had been against heresy, but Innocent III was the first to really take a stand and make it a central part of his papacy to really go against it and try and destroy it. Um, Talking about the Catharism heresy in the Languedoc, um, when he launched the Albigensian crusade against it, he actually went as far to say that the heretics in the south of France were more of a threat than the um, Saracens in the <gasps> Middle East. That's, and that's, that, yeah. Yeah, and that they should, any crusaders going against the heretics in Languedoc should be even fiercer than the crusaders who went um, to the Near East. And that's quite kind of insane, because by now we're on the fourth crusade? Yeah, is this is the Albigensian Crusade was launched um, five years after the Fourth Crusade had failed. This is a momentous occasion for the heresy hunters. In 1200, nine years before the Crusade started, Innocent III had sent a letter called Vigentis Insinium to the Languedoc. Um, this letter detailed his strategy for dealing with the punishment of those who committed heresy and those who supported those who committed heresy. Right. Um, For example, um, he basically suggested that anyone supporting or engaging in heresy should be completely ostracised from society. They should have no right to make a will. Any official or legal documents they write would hold no validity. um, And... The property of any heretics was deemed to be made public. Ah. So this was actually one of the legal justifications for the crusade. Because if um, the people the crusaders were going against were heretics or supporters of heresy, then legally their property could be taken from them. And so it wouldn't be considered invading as such because you could legally go and take it from them Mm. um so in effect with this letter innocent the third the pope is saying that oh it's fine to go and invade the lands of a heretic and so he's effectively sanctioning violence against them that's really interesting actually is there any other popes that encourage violence against people 
Well, interestingly, there's a good comparison here to the way the first crusade was launched um, in 1095 by the Pope Urban II. Do you want to tell us more about how the first crusade was launched and the similarities with um, the Albigensian crusade? Yes. As you said, it was launched in 1095 by Urban II as he made an impassioned speech to encourage people to aid their, quote, Christian brethren, unquote. Um, but most notably, it was he exaggerated the threat of the Muslims um, against the Byzantine em Empire um, to secure support for his own motivations for this crusade. But in result of this, there was a horrific amount of violence against loads of Muslims and also other Christians and Jews. So this sounds like the Albigensian Crusade in the sense that you have religious authorities who know what's going on, but they're exaggerating vastly the mm. threat that there is to the Catholic Church and then unleashing a horrific level of violence against people when there was not a real justification. I mean, also, interestingly, the result of the First Crusade was the Catholic Church obtaining more land and papal authority across Asia Minor, which was one of the reasons. And again, with the Albigensian Crusade, they gained a lot of power in that region as well. Definitely. And it drove the process of sort of nobles losing control in the south of France and the king of France gaining dominance over the whole country for the first time. Furthermore, it doesn't seem just to be an issue with the Catholic Church, though. I mean, most notably, you've got the Holocaust as an example of exaggeration of threat. Definitely, and you can see why the, the man who coined the term genocide applies it to this example. Mm. There's clear similarities in the way that you have this sort of group who an authority blame issues of society on and they decide to sort of use them as a group to send violence against to achieve aims that are not the fault of the people involved there's a greater political purpose going on here right. and this is why it's so important to look at the primary sources and see how exaggerated they are and make sure we remember the issue that there is no primary sources from the Cathars themselves. They've all been lost or destroyed at some point. I completely agree, which is why it's so important to go on to episode three, where Ethan and Alfie will be looking at the historiography of the Albigensian Crusade and the the Cathars, and they bring up some really, really interesting debates and controversial opinions. Certainly, it's something that's hugely debated within academic circles and has been for a very long time. But that was the end of our episode about the primary sources and the exaggeration of the threat of Catharism. I really hope you enjoyed. And have a think about as well, if you can think of any other examples where sort of there is difficulties with primary sources and it really clouds the popular and scholarly judgment on justifications for certain events like the crusades that is a very good question jamie but that's us for now thank you and goodbye thank you for listening